My name's Sean, I work for Trademark, and for those of you who don't know, um, and my job is to welcome you all to tonight's panel discussion on Brexit, the border, and the left. Tonight's event is part of a running partnership, a year-long partnership with between Trademark and the Rosa Luxemburg Foundation, um, a Brexit blog partnership. Um, and for those of you who haven't been following it, you, you should. Um, the, the address is brexitblog-rosalux.eu. We're fortunate to have uh, a number of great speakers tonight who I'm sure will have plenty to say in light of, of recent events, events that we're struggling to catch up with. We're also fortunate that Dr. Steve Baker, who's a good friend of, of Trademark from the University of Ulster, has agreed to, to host the discussion um, and, and to help in, in organising it. Um, so I'll, I'll leave you in Steve's capable hands. Thanks very much. Welcome again to the, the Ulster University in Belfast. As Sean was saying, my name is Stephen Baker. I'm a lecturer here in communication and media, and I'm also a member of the Centre for uh, Media Research, which is also housed here in Ulster University. Tonight's event and discussion is about Brexit, the border and the left. And it's brought to you by our good friends at Trademark Belfast and also the uh, Rosa Luxemburg Foundation, uh, both of which are left-wing non-profit making organisations that are committed to providing civic forms of education. And tonight's event is part of a contribution uh, to that sort of civic education agenda. With four participants on tonight's panel, um, at, the, at the far end there, Standing in at the last moment for uh, Lynn Boland from Sinn Féin, who couldn't be here, she uh, hasn't been well, is Deidre Hargay, who's at the very last minute arrival. She was a former Sinn Féin, uh, Sinn Féin Lord Mayor in Belfast, so very glad to have you along. We also have beside me here Claire, Daly, uh, Claire Bailey from the uh, Green Party, the leader of the Northern Ireland Green Party. Uh, Patricia McKenna, who is a former uh, member of the European Parliament for Dublin between 1994 and 2004. And Tommy McKerney, who's an author and uh, a well-known political activist. What I want to try to do tonight is, is not get bogged down in the debates about for and against Brexit, because they've all been very well rehearsed, and I doubt that there's anything that you'll hear tonight that will change anybody's mind with regards to that. Although I'm sure it will come up in the discussion that we're going to have. But what I want to try to do about avoiding that is to move on to some sort of an analysis about what's happening now and about what the left might do in the future. And I suppose the only place to start, because it's very hard to avoid at the moment is what's going on in, in Westminster. Um, we have uh, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson has probed Parliament for five weeks um, and it's been described as a coup. Um, but Deidre, if it is a coup, it's been a bit crap, hasn't it? You know? What do you think? We'll say a week's a long time and I think they were nearly <laughs> glorious that he survived almost um, a week in politics. But obviously it's the pantomime of Westminster continues and each, not even just each day, each hour, um, each minute, particularly now with the use of social media, there's new events um, and new scenarios that are unfolding. But obviously it is a concerning period. Um, I mean, as obviously as an Irish Republican, I want to detach ourselves from Westminster um, because I don't think that they do ever play in the interests of the people um, right across Ireland. Um, but it has to be concerning even for working people in England, Scotland um, and Wales um, and I suppose globally because there are trends and attempts to swing um, to the right of politics um, right across the world and others may pick up on some of the dynamics um, which are happening. But you can see obviously the emergence of the ERG over the last while, the, the kind of little England attitude and approach to Brexit and an attempt to have a crash out Brexit and a hard Brexit which doesn't serve the needs of working people and it particularly doesn't serve the needs um, of Ireland, um, either north, south, east or west. Um, and it is a big concern and it's a concern that you're even now, even with apathy in terms of politics and people's views of political processes either in Ireland or in Britain um, or globally, people are concerned. You know, I was stopped yesterday um, in an Irish school um, in South Belfast just by a classroom assistant um, who has never conversed in politics with me before when I was collecting my, my nieces 
and her concerns just about all of this playing out on the media. Um, of a painter and decorator in the house this week, I still live at home with my mother. Um, and again, he is talking about Brexit um, and the concerns that it's going to have for working families, for people's incomes. Um, and that is something that's playing out. And I think what Westminster is showing is a total disregard for people, um, a total disregard for Ireland and the peace process um, and the impact that that's having. Um, but of course, you know, it's, it's not surprising either um, in terms of the role of the Tory government and individuals such as the ERG. I mean, I think it was summed up with Jacob Rees-Mogg and I know it, it really lifted um, this week and there's all sorts of memories about his stance and his position. But just his body language really just reflects the Tory party to me and that kind of arrogance, um, that position of power that they just assume that they have no matter what. Um, even if it goes against the opinions of the broad majority of people. Um, the body and it's very wonderful, wasn't it? What is I mean, it? The body language was extraordinary in, in Parliament on that mm. occasion. I mean, you mentioned also the thing about um, uh, you know, ordinary people who've never had a thought about politics before are suddenly very engaged with this. I mean, I was listening to somebody who was saying to me that they'd seen, they go into their pub and usually when there was horse racing shown, they've got the Parliament yeah. channel on instead. I mean, uh, our new Prime Minister, uh, Dominic Cummings, Tommy, <laughs> seems to have really captured people's imaginations. He has, of course, and unsurprisingly. But I think you have to got to take into consideration the, ex the, the constitutional position of Britain. There's an unelected head of state, an unelected and probably unelectable upper chamber. There's a, an intelligence agency that is answerable only to the Crown, in other words, to itself, and an unwritten constitution. So. I don't see how we could be surprised at arriving at this uh, impasse that we're in at the moment. The fact that Johnson tried to pull a stroke effectively is hardly to be surprised. That uh, he was always capable of doing it. And certainly it's showing up the difference between Parliament and the parliamentarians that are in place and the needs of the people. Uh, Cummings, yes, why would they not have a Cummings? Why would they not have somebody, a uh, hard man, winding the situation up when, as I outlined, there isn't, there isn't a plan of campaign here. Uh, where do we stand? There's no constitutional uh, written down. It, it's open to interpretation by the law lords at best. So of course they will. And in that case then we're seeing, the, as Deirdre has rightly pointed out, the right wing taking over. But, but, and but, I think we've got to go back to this situation in the light of the European Union. Now, you mightn't have the same pantomime in Brussels, but as somebody talked about the MEPs, and with all the apologies in the world to yourself, Patricia, but somebody said the only people that listen to the MEPs are the interpreters. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it's a bad joke, I can tell you. But the authoritarianism that emanates from the European Union and its neoliberal bent uh, is no better in the long run than what we're suffering under a Tory government, with this exception, with this exception, that I would argue that we have a much better chance of overturning a right-wing government in Britain, although I'm an Irish Republican and uh, it's not my position to argue for, for, for the British Constitution, but we have a much better chance of overturning the British uh, right-wing Tory party with a move from the left than we have of overturning the effective dictate of the European Union because when you go through the 27 states that will be left, you're going to have to go and persuade Emmanuel Macron that we need to move to the left. We're going to have to persuade um, Angela Merkel then you have to talk about Viktor Orban, you've got to talk about Sebastian Kursk, you've got to talk about the uh, Duda in Poland. And by the time you get through that, I think you have a much better chance overall in terms of parliamentary politics of winning out in Britain than you have in the European Union. Yeah, I'm going to come back later on and we'll, we'll talk a bit about the, the prospects for, for perhaps reform uh, within the EU, EU or not in, in that case. Um, but you would see an opening at the moment, would you, in, in, in London, in, in, in England? Look, there's such chaos, and out of chaos there has to come something. Now, the danger, of course, is that we find ourselves with a hard right Brexit supporting the Johnson Tory party. 
which is a frightening proposition. But on the other hand, on the other hand, with the cards that are on the table, there is the possibility, the distinct possibility, that we could see a Labour government. Now, it's a possibility. It's a long, it's not a certainty, but as opposed to what is coming down the tracks from Brussels, I think it's a, there's a much better option in Britain without the European Union than there would be within the European Union. So hence the reason that I support the left exit from Britain, from the European Union. Hey, Patricia, you're watching all this from the relative safety, with a nice border keeping you separate from What's it look like? Well, I think that the, the whole thing is very depressing, and I, I just want to go back to what Deirdre says, because I, I, I think, unfortunately, we all suffer from a situation where we are fed a huge amount of propaganda by an embedded media, a media that's embedded in the political establishment and in the EU establishment. And just listening to what Deirdre says, and the, I'm not criticising Deirdre, because I think everyone has kind of bought into this, you know, talking about the pantomime, the pantomime that is Westminster. But we have to remember the pantomime that's going on in Westminster is not just Westminster's fault, it's also the fault of the EU because when the British voted when the United Kingdom voted to leave the EU, it was quite a shock. And the first thing the EU had to do is say, well, whoops, we have to ensure that the British, first of all, they wanted them not to leave because the UK is one of the, uh, an extremely important member of the European Union. But it was also very important to send a signal to other member states that may be trying to, you know, considering the same idea. And there's quite a lot of criticism right across the EU. And don't forget, very few countries in the EU have allowed their citizens any say on the direction Europe is going in. Ireland is one of the few countries that has had a referendum on every single EU treaty up until the Lisbon Treaty and the Fiscal Treaty. Interestingly enough, not on the European Stability Mechanism Treaty, which was a huge a significant treaty that we were denied a say on because it was to save the euro. Um, but just to come back to the, the what, so when the British voted no, the first thing the EU had to say is, well, let we have to ensure that we send a signal out to all the other member states, don't ever think of this. And that's what's happened. Other member states who may be considering thinking of leaving the European Union are not going to leave the European Union now because they can see the havoc. That's it's like the you know the the song. The Hotel California. You could check out any time you like, but you can never leave. The EU voted to leave, and I want to come back to that as well in a few minutes. But what was put on the table, they talk about this Theresa May's deal. But be real here, it's not Theresa May's deal. It was the only deal Theresa May could get, and Theresa May didn't really. She accepted it, which of course we can say that's her partner, that's why technically it's called Theresa May's deal, but it's the EU deal, and the EU deal, one of the things they hung on to was the, the border issue, because it really was a godsend to the EU to ensure this is a weapon we can use to ensure that we get the Irish to toe the line on this, because we are more significantly affected than any other member state within the European Union. And not that it takes a lot of pressure to get the Irish to kowtow to whoever they think is the most powerful. I mean, for generations, the Irish have cowed down to the British. But suddenly, you know, when they see a bigger power out there, like Germany and the EU, they're kowtowing to them because they think they're more important than, than the EU. And we only have to look in relation to Ireland and when the, we were told to bail out the banks during the financial crisis, we did what the EU told us to do at the detriment of taxpayers. But let's come back to this. So the... the, the the um, agreement that was put on the table, as I know we'll come back to it later on, it was the worst of all situations for the British because on the one hand they were going to be out of the EU institutions yet accepting everything that the EU institutions agreed. So like, which is worse, being in the EU with at least some sort of say or being outside, out of the institutions and having to accept everything that's been put to them? So you can see, and people criticise the... the, the uh, Arlene Foster and the, the unionist politicians in Northern Ireland, but th there's, th there's arguments in relation to what, why they're saying they don't like the deal. But I want to just go through a few things that Deirdre mentioned, because it's very important, like saying about this swing to the right of politics, right? It's portrayed that Brexit is a right-wing agenda, right? I was in Britain during the Brexit referendum campaign. Huge amounts of people on the left, trade unionists, and people who are worried about the direction the European Union is going in, and workers' rights, and many other things, including fair trade, are extremely worried, right? So to try and put it down to, and this is the media here, They'll go for the United Farages and the Little Englanders and they'll put them up there on a platform and they'll give them as much airtime as they want to discredit anyone else from the left who's critical of the EU. So, so do, do, you, do you think in some ways that, that the, the kind of, you know, it's been hard not to find 
what's happened in Westminster, a pantomime, and kind of compelling, you know, the imagery of Rhys Moore, the, this, this Monty Python-esque array of English toffs, are we too focused on that? We are. In, indeed. The, in the problems which we sort of see as being We are, and, and like what you were saying there a minute ago about uh, Boris Johnson, I mean, he's great, he's a great opportunity for people to have a good laugh, because, you know, he provides a lot of ammunition, and, and he's, the t he's a bit like the Trump type of thing, you know, so you can focus on this what we would say not very likable character, right? Instead of actually focusing on the real issue. And the real issue here is because uh, Deirdre mentioned as well about that um, they were showing total disregard for the people. But we have to remember here, and this is what we forget about, that the people by a majority voted to leave the European Union. Yet people like Tony Blair and others with a serious legacy in relation to supporting war and destruction are backing the political establishment in Europe at, against their own parties within the United Kingdom to try and ensure that the vote of the people is overturned. Now, I think that is the biggest assault on democracy within the United Kingdom that's taking place, but it's not visible. Tony Blair and all of these other people who have a vet, and who in my mind would take Tony Blair seriously, yet he's out there preaching about what people should do and about what's in the best interest. This is a guy, this is in my opinion a war criminal who's out there telling the rest of us how we should operate and what we should do. So when you look at what's happening at the moment and talking about disregard for the, for the people, let's look at what the people voted for. I know that Northern Ireland will argue that we didn't vote for it by a majority, but the Good Friday Agreement accepts that the United Kingdom is the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland and a majority within that entity, whether we like it or not, voted to leave the European Union. People will argue, well, they didn't vote for this and they didn't vote for that. You cannot put to the people in a referendum, do you want to leave and we'll leave on this condition, that condition and the other? Because you can't get those conditions agreed until after you've decided to leave. Because had the British gone to the European Union before they had the vote and said, oh, we're going to have a referendum on leaving and we want you to see what will you agree so we can push to the people and say these are the type of agreements we're coming up with the only thing they could do was go to the people and say do you want to leave or do you want to stay and that's the only thing that people that voters in the Brexit referendum voted on was to leave the European Union by a majority and their rights are not being respected and it's absolutely appalling to see how the EU who preaches democracy to other parts of the world can turn around and basically facilitate an assault on democracy and the rights of people in relation to, okay. to their decisions. Okay, so, so Claire, we're, what we're witnessing in Westminster is is a is a is a, a problem created by the disrespect of, of uh, the people in the UK. <laughs> well, I would go back to where Patricia was talking there about uh, the referendum and that the majority voted to leave, and that should be respected. And I see it very, very differently. Um, I see the referendum being brought up as a Tory in-house fight and have been going on for decades since we joined the European Union. They couldn't settle themselves on this one anyway. David Cameron, while Prime Minister, then announced we would have the referendum so casually. There was no discussion beforehand. There was no um, talk with the people about what it might mean. There was no pre-planning. There was no ground um, work being done there at all. It was just thrown out and then bang, we had a referendum. Um, he lost the referendum. He resigned. He's away washing his hands elsewhere and we're left to clean up the mess. Now, let's not forget that the Dominic Cummings, Prime Minister Cummings as you're calling him, um, Aaron Banks, um, all that ERG group who are really forced, who run the whole Leave campaign, um, are now sitting in government. Um, but they were also brought to court, they were found to have broken electoral law, they were found to have run a campaign based on lies, and they won that campaign by a very slim majority. So it was a 52 to 48, but not only was it split nearly down the middle of the population, it was also split down the devolved regions of the UK, with Scotland and Northern Ireland voting to remain. To me, that signifies the fault lines. So I don't see it as a democratic process, I see it as a start of something, and it should have been taken as an opinion poll. And from there, then you go back to the people, and if you want to uphold democratic principles then you keep going back to the people to ask them and in the model that they have in the south for example with the citizens assemblies and allow people to tease out what does this mean what if we do this what does that mean um I, and we've never done that so we've allowed this several coups but then we've got Theresa May an unelected pres uh, prime minister then she lost her majority by going for election now we've got um an even harder right 
with um, the grouping that we do have now headed by Boris Johnson and they're just threatening no deal because this is what they want this is not because it's what the people want it's because it's what they want and it's in their interests so I don't see it as democratic will of the people to be leaving I think that we need to keep going back keep having the conversations and keep seeing what that is and I don't know all about rerunning referendums that's what I have to come in so on there's nothing, nothing wrong with going back to the people and keeping the conversation and when you put it in the context of Northern Ireland we're a post-conflict society we're doing our best to try and keep a peace process on a steady balance and now we're throwing this in with no regard no discussion from the rest of Britain during that whole referendum but the impact that would be the most severe on us in terms of population and outcomes and borders and trade and economics and lack of investment lack of attention from the British government as well so no I think there's an awful lot more to be discussed and I completely object to what's happening at Westminster just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back okay to well just on going back to the people <coughs> is a, an assault on the democratic process and we've had it twice in the Republic of Ireland where we the result was not what the political establishment wanted so we vote again and we keep voting until we give them the right answer what's the point in asking people to vote if you're going to say keep voting we'll keep going back to you again and again as you said until you give us the answer it's we want it's not a straightforward question <coughs> when you look at the context of Ireland because it's a very partitionist approach you're taking in terms of saying oh the principle of consent there was a whole good friday agreement which talks about citizenship rights which talks about other rights and consent is it doesn't take primacy over all of that and don't put words in my mouth i didn't say the people in terms of those who have a varying view on brexit from a left perspective the question was asked was about this tory government was about the role of johnson and i'm sorry the moves and the changes that have been made is a swing further to the right. It is a little England attitude where they don't even care for the working class people in England. They care even less about working class people here in Ireland. And I do think the fundamental flaw in this as well and what it really shows is the partition of this country. And until that's resolved as well in terms of a conversation around the European Union as well, we need to look at the partition, the fundamental flaw um, in terms of the partition of Ireland, because that has thrown a spanner in the works, not just for the British government, for the European <coughs> Union as well, because what do you do? And it's not just about the principle of consent, it's across a whole variety of rights. That agreement was predicated on both being involved in the European Union, and when one exits from that, it's not just a simple thing on the ballot paper, because when they drew up that referendum, they had no concern about the consequence that that would have to Ireland, none the, whatsoever. I'll, I'll and I think the, of anything the, the, with Westminster, the, it is really shown up that they have little regard you, for the You've kind of preempted the, the next question which I had, was, which was when, when I went then to vote uh, on, on the EU referendum, very much at the front of my mind, and it seems to be the very few people anywhere else were thinking about it except perhaps here, was that the Good Friday Agreement here was seemed to be predicated upon a notion that we had a more relaxed attitude to borders and a more relaxed attitude to sovereignty. Surely, you know, I mean, can the Good Friday Agreement survive Brexit? The Good Friday Agreement didn't survive the first early days of it. The, uh, there has been a couple of adjustments to the Good Friday Agreement the Good Friday Agreement is practically in advance at the moment. The Good Friday Agreement didn't assure the future. The Good Friday Agreement effectively provided a facility to end an armed campaign and an armed conflict. There, there remains, although politics have changed considerably in Northern Ireland, at the same time, I think it's jumping the gun, it's going too far to suggest that there has been a change in the outlook on the constitutional position. Uh, that I think that's presumptuous. The uh, if 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 there were to be a border poll, I think it's reasonable to assume that people would go back to the old positions. So, on that basis, the idea that the referendum, the Brexit referendum, has undermined the Good Friday Agreement. The Good Friday Agreement. Did not is not predicated on on what emerged from the from the the Brexit agreement, the Brexit the Brexit referendum. The the point is that we're looking at a situation here where Stormont has been per, uh, prorogued, maybe if you like. There certainly has been an abeyance now for nearly two and a half over two and a half years. Uh, there is no agreement on bringing it back. It's unlikely that it'll be brought back in the short term. So I can't see where we're talking here about. 
the Good Friday Agreement holding up. The Good Friday Agreement is, is under threat as it stands. The idea that there's a more flexible attitude to partition, I don't actually see that emerging. I can't see where it is emerging from. We're talking about something quite qualitatively different here. Uh, obviously, if there was a majority of people in the six counties that wanted that badly to leave the Brexit arrangement, they could do with partition, reunite the island would be one facility for doing it, but it still doesn't remove the problem with the European Union. Now, whether this, and I think this is one of the problems we've had here, is we have looked at this situation through the eyes of a breaking down of the peace process, and I think it's a non sequitur. I don't understand why or how, and I'm not convinced at all that whether Brexit is a hard Brexit, Brexit with a deal, or no Brexit at all, that this is going to plunge us back into the conflict of the past. Uh, and I think we have had, this has been a distraction from the issues that are at stake. Plunging this northern area into economic chaos, there's many things that would be needed rather than looking at what we can get from the European Union. If we talk about the issues that are really impacting here, there are issues such as the removal of our industrial base. What's needed here in this city, at the moment one of the crucial issues is, is the shipyard in Belfast, where we, have been, where we have lost a whole industry and the skills that went with it. What's crucially important would be one, to have that industry now immediately nationalised and a programme of reinvestment, state-led reinvestment, which is impossible actually under EU regulations. If we really want to improve the economy of, of Northern Ireland, we've got to have industries such as the, 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 skill, the skills that were here for so long have disappeared or are disappearing. We've got to, re we have got to bring those back. We've got to reinforce that. And that can't be done with the legislation that has emerged from the European Union. Now, the Tories won't do it, but then the question is, how do we do it? Uh, we'll have different ways. One is we see a different, a different government in London that will be willing to invest in the regions, or on the other hand, we talk about what my preferred solution would be a workers' republic. But do you, I mean, are you, do you think it's too early to start thinking? I, I do want to talk about the idea of a border poll in a wee bit more detail shortly, but are you sort of think it's too early to start thinking about that? Actually, I don't, because I believe it's an inevitability over the next coming decades. Okay, I'm going to come back to that in a second. I'm going to come back to that, and I think but, but, it's timely. But Tracy, I mean, what, like, I mean uh, you know, you're, you, you're speaking very powerfully there about the idea of there being a people and that their voice needs to be respected. And, and, and Deirdre, I think, makes the point there about, you know, well, there are different people here. It, the people in, in, in the north of Ireland not have, um, well, not a, when I say people, I think it's always very, comp very difficult to talk about the people are people, but the people who voted, the, the majority who voted remain in the, the north of Ireland not have a right to feel a bit sore about being trumped by another people been simply numerically outnumbered by English and therefore our own sense of what we voted for, what we wanted, sort of being overturned by that. Well, just on, on the Good Friday Agreement, uh, it's important to remember that the Good Friday, prior to the Good Friday Agreement, the Irish Constitution's Articles 2 and 3 claimed claim, had a territorial claim over the six counties of Northern Ireland. But with the Good Friday Agreement, which Sinn Féin supported, that claim, territorial claim to the six counties was removed and therefore accepting that the six counties of Northern Ireland were part and parcel of the United Kingdom, right? That was part of the agreement. Now, there are two things I want to mention there. One is it would have been interesting, like, for example, if that Articles 2 and 3 had not been amended and we had the situation we have now, the Irish government would have had a far stronger hand, just like with Germany and German unification, because Germany never accepted East Germany as being not part of Germany. And when German unification came about, there was no need for any kind of constitu EU constitutional changes then, because it had always been, by German membership, a part East Germany part of the whole of Germany. When we joined the EU, we, this is the interesting thing again, when we joined the EU, we allowed the British and Irish joined at the same time. And the Irish government stood over 
the idea that the British government would join claiming the six counties of Northern Ireland as part and parcel of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. So our own government, we can you know, point the finger at the British government and all the rest, but our own government has failed on numerous occasions in relation to the six counties of Northern Ireland. Those are two examples, right? But I also wanted to say that, and, and the other thing, just from Sinn Féin's point of view, there is this unexplained U-turn by Sinn Féin, because I have stood on platforms and shared platforms with Sinn Féin on every single EU referendum that I've been involved in from the Single European Act down, where they have opposed every single treaty, and justifiably so, because it was further and further European integration, the further militarisation of Europe, the further erosion of democratic accountability, etc., etc. And Sinn Féin had, had, and for good reason, opposed the direction that Europe was going in. And the Lisbon Treaty, I mean, it has enshrined neoliberal policies within the Constitution. Therefore, you can elect any government you like in the future, but you can't change the policies because they're enshrined in the Constitution. So I beggars believe how they could do this complete U-turn and now be supporting the idea that we should remain within the European Union. Did but I just want to go on to... Is that a U-turn then? No, well, when you look at all of these things, you have to look at the dynamics and things that are happening now. And we do have uh, a peace and a political process. We did have the Good Friday Agreement, which was voted on in a referenda. So there is an agreement. I mean, I do think there has to be a, a union of nations. I mean, I would agree in terms of countries and nations working together. There, of course, there's concerns with the European Union and the neoliberal approach that it's taken. Um, and we would fight that um, constantly in terms of articulating against that. But when you looked at this issue of a referendum, and the referendum in Britain, I mean, I agree totally with Claire, was not brought by the people um, who live there. It was the Tory party that were in fighting, um, and therefore that was never in the interests of the people in Ireland, north, south, east or west. And we had to look at this in terms of looking at the issues of the Good Friday Agreement, but also the impact that this would have socially, economically, culturally, politically, also in terms of looking at armed conflict, because yes, circumstances were brought about um, that there was a, a military stalemate, and I think there was a recognition even long before the uh, Good Friday Agreement that that was the case. There's obviously been the ceasefires, there was a political process, which was a compromise um, between a variety of different uh, playholders. It wasn't a Republican agreement. It wouldn't have been the, the full agreement that Sinn Féin would have wanted. Um, but it was a compromise agreement um, in terms of moving you from one phase into another phase. And we had to look at these issues in terms of the impact um, on Ireland. I mean, from, and you're right, I mean, in terms of Ireland and Britain joining the European Union, even with the peace process itself, there has been, you know, a withdrawal in terms of the architecture that it's along the border. We are seeing now more of all island economic systems being developed, whether that's around agriculture, whether that's around electricity, whether that's around... And there are detrimental concerns that if you pull one part of this island out, while the other part of the island remains. And we're seeing that playing out here well, now on a regular yeah, basis. Just, just, just briefly. Uh, yeah, I just on that, I mean, it isn't just the Tories. We have to remember that even even Jeremy Corbyn was an EU sceptic until he became leader of the, of the Labour Party. But the other thing is in relation to the idea that somehow it's a cooperation of na nations. The EU is not. Secondly, if you're talking about pulling one country out, the Irish government have done nothing in relation from the day one since the vote on the Brexit. On Brexit. The Irish government have done nothing to try and work with the British government in relation to sort of cooperating so we could come to some agreement instead we have put we have put all our baskets all our eggs in one basket and our Taoiseach has said quite openly and plain we're not going to facilitate the British in finding a solution to the border he's on record as saying that he says we will not support the British in trying to find a solution to the border that's how responsible our Prime Minister was and while I might be a Republican I have to say that reality hits you in the face when you see we do need to work with the British but instead we're working with Germany and with the EU and the lack of accountability and democracy within that idea is seriously flawed and it, we will come to regret it. Okay. The British so, government so haven't so had any plans in place. I mean, that's being <laughs> the what? shown. The British government... Yeah, but when, at the very beginning, no if you followed the referendum issue... Follow no, but if you followed issue. it from the very beginning, the Taoiseach said he was not going to... When the British were trying to find a solution to the border problem, the Taoiseach was, was told... Then, sure. what was but the this, look, I, I'm saying to you, our Taoiseach 
said we are not going to facilitate the British in finding a solution okay, to the problem. Okay, do you think that that is an acceptable comment from our leader I, to say I'm not going to? We are not, not mining, but we are not okay, going okay, to I, support it. I don't it. think we're going to have a meet, a meet the minds or somehow. Claire, yeah. you, you want to put them in on that? I don't think there's anybody in this room would ever argue that the EU is a perfect institution or something that that we should be leading a charge for. Um, and go back to maybe something that Deirdre said there as well. You have to take your decisions from where you're standing. And when the Tories and David Cameron came forward with the referendum, you have to look at where you're standing right now. And we had a Good Friday Agreement, and that is an international agreement to which both the British and Irish governments and the EU are involved in upholding as well. Um, but that was not put in the debate. Um, so we were not included, and the impact on Ireland was not there. Um, so when we look at the Good Friday Agreement as it is now, or our peace process as it is now, I mean, I would argue that we haven't had a peace process. We've had a political process at the behest of a peace process. And once the Good Friday Agreement had been up and going, it wasn't very very long before the institutions were brought down or the, the agreements were renegotiated. And every single time that has happened, it's come back in a more narrow form. So 21 years ago, we had everybody at the table. We had the whole of civic society at the table. We had our churches, our community sector, our business leaders, trade unions. Uh, everybody was there giving duck and cover, trying to get a buy-in for this agreement. And they got it, and the people supported it. Um, but now we are, 21 years later, in a two-party stalemate because everybody else has been eradicated from feeding into that process. Now, if we want to move forward, um, and I, I know that there's a lot of people voted in that referendum or have views on the EU from a range of different political opinions, but for me, um, and this word Lexit just takes me to the fair again as well, you know, it, it, if you want to look from the left, you have to look from the context of where we're standing. And right now, it is in an environmental crisis. So we were told two years ago by the IPCC that we have 12 years to avert the catastrophic changes that are coming down the line um, if we don't radically behave or change how we behave and we live. We've <coughs> lost two years of that already in this Brexit mire. So yes, we do need cooperation with the British government, but we also need it with the German government, the French government, the yes. Polish government, the Brazilian government, well, and every other government as well, because it's a global crisis sure. that we're in. Well, and this year, two years being taken away from radical change that we need to do um, has been really, really painful for me. So sure. I think if the left need to be able to radicalise and mobilise and agree around something, then use the environmental crisis sure. as that, because we cannot act as separate, we have to work together. Well, can I just talk, if we're talking here about an environmental crisis, the European Union has inflicted upon us the Mercosur Agreement, which is predicated on exchanging or selling cars from France and Germany to Brazil to one of the most right-wing regimes that there is on the planet at the moment, where they're burning the Amazon where it's not only damaging the Amazon and Brazil and South America, but it's actually challenging the very environment. Now, this has been delivered by the European Union without a buy your leave. They have also delivered other agreements. There's the uh, agreement, that this what they call the Canadian-European Trade Agreement, which is pretty much the same as the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Protocol, although it was set back not by the European Union, but by Trump, of all people. So we're not talking about an entity, a political entity called the European Union that's interested in the environment. It is, it's far from it. It is not going to improve the environment by sticking with the European Union. The left is making the case that you cannot say just because there is a Tory government in London that we will support the European Union with all that that implies with the neoliberal agenda. What is not destroying this planet is someone smoking a cigarette, somebody driving a car. It's capitalism that's destroying this environment with its drive for profits facilitated by neoliberalism. Mm -hmm. And we've got to challenge that fundamentally. And when you're talking about the European Union, this comes back to this thing of Brexit. What we're saying is not because Bre Brexit undoubtedly was led, it was, a, it was a civil war within Torydom, whether they would opt with the American Empire or the European Empire, the EU Empire, there's a choice of empires. But what we might as well do, what we are doing is saying, right, when the opportunity presents itself, when the opposition is in chaos, let's make hay while we can, let's go for it. We're not going to support the European Union because it's, it's, it, 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 it is worth supporting. Let's break this down. The point about it is that we have a chance here 
to leave the European Union to radically change it because it's not fit for purpose and that's what we're that's why we're talking about a left exit. The other side about this is if we do not advocate a left exit, what we're handing over is the argument against the European Union to the right wing, which we cannot possibly afford to allow this I argument, this case to be made by the right wing, by the far right. I, I, I want to ask you about that, Tommy, because that's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, um, the idea of, of a Lexit, of, of the left leading this, and I've got to confess, I want to, you know, I'm sure there's not a lot of people who've sort of felt, who don't really feel any great attachment or love for the EU, um, but, you know, we're maybe reluctant to be led out of it by Nigel Farage and Gove and that. You know, that's that's a disastrous exit from the EU, isn't it, basically? And shouldn't that be resisted? Well, not res look, there's two points about this. That if we hand the argument, where we hand the argument over to Brexit, to uh, Nigel Farage and Johnson, if they, if they are the only people that's arguing for it, well, then they will define what happens. The point is that it's, they are not, as Patricia's pointed out, Jeremy Corbyn has a long record of being sceptical about the European Union for good reasons. Now we're looking at, the point about this here is that we're looking at, and I, I, I have to confess to feeling slightly uncomfortable arguing for a British position. I've been an Irish Republican for longer than I care to remember, and expat's um, only part of it. But the fact is that in comparison to what chance we have, of changing the European Union, we have a much better chance of changing Britain. Britain is one of the largest economies in the world. You can argue whether it's the fifth, sixth or seventh. It has its own currency. It has capacity that Greece, Venezuela, Cuba doesn't have. It can stand. The fact is that the Labour Party in Britain is one of the largest mass parties in Europe and it was moving towards the left. Now, I am not uncritical of social democracy as such I am to the left of that but as an option there it's putting that case back on when John MacDonald talks or MacDonald talks about taking 300 billion of the big companies in terms of redistributing shares when they're talking about renationalizing the rail and buses when they're talking about reinvigorating the National Health Service we're coming with what arguably is uh, fairly left, quite left of centre. Now, we're not talking about a workers' republic and abolishing the monarchy just yet in Britain, because that might be a step too far for them. But it's certainly a left of centre. It's an argument we can make. It's reinvigorating the left and moving away from the Blairite Labour Party type con uh, understanding of what, what a left of centre party is. That is a realistic option. It's going to be hard fought for, it's going to be difficult to do, but it's an option which is not does not exist within the European Union to reset this programme. I want, I want to give Claire a, ch a chance there to, to, to res respond a little bit because, you know, Tommy there mentions the the TTIP, uh, the Transatlantic Trade Investment Partnership, and Mercosur, and, and, and you look at something uh, like that uh, treaty, which was about the, the traffic and trade of cars mm -hmm. and cattle, um, and TTIP was, you know, done in secret. It was covert. We didn't know what was going on there, um, but it was about regulatory realignment uh, of the two economic systems, which would have meant that we made all the things that Remainers have argued uh, for about you know, uh, environmental protections would have went by the way anyway. Can we trust the EU with the environment, with employment rights? Can we? Well, I would trust the EU with it an awful lot more than I would trust the ERG with it, or certainly a Tory Britain with it as well. And I don't believe that the TTIP is off the table. I think that Donald Trump, he's actually come out and said that it's been broken down into parts and he will work towards getting it through in smaller parts. Um, so he will do the, the deals that he can in small bites rather than a big deal. Um, and I think that that's what the Tories are going to be signing up to as well when they go. And you go right into that. I know that that includes healthcare and our NHS, for example. So don't tell me that the NHS hasn't been sold off across England. Huge swathes of counties are now being privatised and those services. We are not investing in the NHS to, to keep it up, to keep it up the standard, to keep the staff there. Um, we've now got so many workers for, um, who've emigrated here to work in the NHS who are now being threatened. Uh, I'm feeling that they're going to have to be leaving the country again, but at the same time, we're outsourcing all those treatments to private practitioners um, and hold parts. I, I know that there is places in England that 
nearly the whole county is being privatised in part. So the TTIP mentality hasn't gone away. I think it's still there and it's still it's actually doing its business. Uh, while we, we're not looking maybe hard enough and resistant hard enough on that in terms of mercury yes you're seeing the brazilian rainforests or the amazon amazon on fire at the minute um and everything that that brings uh, but you've also got a whole history of all this um dakota pipeline for example um, and how the indigenous women were able to rise up and fight against that one and there's a whole series of global catastrophes in terms of the environmental impacts going on i don't believe that what we're replacing our links with the EU with to what's being suggested in terms of a no-deal Brexit or a hard Brexit is in any way any better. And I think that because of the seriousness of the crisis that we're in, and I don't believe that many people really do understand the radical change that we have to implement in order to <coughs> mitigate against the impacts that we're going to be seeing, that we are seeing, well, that, that radical change, I mean, you mentioned our data. And it is, Tommy's absolutely right that it's capitalism yeah. that is doing it and the neoliberal you know, agenda that's out there and the whole system. It is, it, it, I can't see where it can go. It is broken. Um, so I think that when we're talking about trying to address the, the left or the right or even in Britain with the Labour or the Tory party, I feel that those days need to be finished now. We need to start talking in terms of the environmental crisis in order to save ourselves, our families, our communities. And when we can tackle that one, get our head around that, then it absolutely is an obvious follow that that is the end of capitalism. And if everybody get behind that one, we can change the system through that. But if we keep fighting on this left and right agenda, I think that we're going to continue to be stuck. Okay, I'm going to come to you in a second, Patricia. I just want to ask Dave something. Um, I mean, you know, the... Um, Claire there mentions the, uh, you know, the, 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 the indigenous people fighting against the Dakota pipe, Pipeline. Um, isn't it ultimately people? Um, it's not, uh, for instance, it's not, it's not the EU that protects workers' rights, it's workers and their organisations, the trade unions. It'll be indigenous people who protect their resources. You know, can the, you know, is there any chance of those people reforming uh, an organisation like the EU, do you think? I think yes, if there's mass mobilisations and a willing, because I mean, and I'm listening very carefully to what um, Tommy is saying, and nearly how it reads to me is that you can nearly change your work with a British government quicker than with the EU, and they're all neoliberal in terms of their politics, and I think the environmental stuff is a left and right argument, because the right and in terms of that view of neoliberal politics has led the world um, and the economy in terms of where we are today, but the difficulty you see because obviously I mean we're partitioned because of the policies of British governments um, and I don't have the luxury to sit and wait to see if there's a Jeremy, Cor Jeremy Corbyn government that will maybe change things um, and the consequence is when you're sitting with a referendum that's been forced on you as a result of that right wing infighting uh, within the Tory party um, you do have to make decisions in terms of the impact that Brexit would have here in Ireland and it would have massive and detrimental impacts in terms of any attempt to put up border infrastructure, to harden the border and this isn't um, you know, the, the bureaucrats and all saying this, this is people who are working in freight, this is people who are working in agri-food, these are people who cross the border on a daily basis and over the last, I mean, the Good Friday Agreement hasn't been fully implemented, and that's part of the problem. Um, from a government level, there's been things that haven't been implemented, and we've seen that with the Emma D'Souza case, for example, around citizenship rights. Um, but any attempt to put a hard border, we have to respond to that. You can't wish and wait on um, a, a Labour government at some point, because that's happening in the here and now before I'm, that happens. I'm going to come back to the border point again before, yeah. before we leave. I just want to bring Patricia in here. Uh, you know, I'm going to ask you a question here. I kind of think I know what the answer to it is. And I feel a bit like the, the, the priest and Father Ted who goes, is there anything to be said for another Mass? But is there, is, I mean, is there any way at all that people can change the EU? I mean, these are just institutions. Surely people can change them. Yeah, I, I come to that in just one second. I just want to 
clar- correct or clarify whatever something Claire said earlier on. It was in relation to the Good Friday Agreement that it was an inter- she said it was an international agreement. You know that Ireland and Britain and the EU had agreed had signed up to it. It's very important legally just to remember that it's an international agreement and it does not form part of EU law. And it's very important that the courts, the European Court of Justice, from a very early stage, have made it clear that anything that does not par- form part of EU law and conflicts with EU law is not to be com- is not to be complied with. Which means that depending on what happens down the road, the Good Friday Agreement in relation to EU law is not part of it, right? Just, it, just to clarify that. Secondly, just in relation to, and I just want to make this point because I was in the European Union for t- in Parliament for ten years. I know how it operates, and the idea that somehow you'd put your trust in the European Union because at the end of the day, it's all negotiations by the transnational corporations, the monopolies, the global monopolies. They're the ones behind the scenes who negotiate. They are the ones who have the ear of the Commission, the ear of the co-repair, the ear of the Council, and all that. And the Parliament might be there, but I we know how it operates, and it operates in the interest of multinational, transnational capital, and that's what it's all about. And th- now, to come to reform of the EU, sadly, it is naive to think that you can reform the EU. And legalistically and politically, it's impossible. First of all, legalistically, it's impossible because you cannot ch- reform the EU without changing the treaties. And you cannot change the treaties without unanimity. And that's where the political comes in, because you will not get unanimity, even within the United States, you can change the Constitution, I think, within, isn't it two-thirds or something, or whatever. But within the European Union, it has to be unanimity. Therefore, you need all member states of the European Union to agree to any changes to the treaties. So the idea of reforming the European Union is not legally or politically possible. And people should understand that. Like, while there might be plenty of good things within the European Union, you cannot reform the EU as it currently stands. The treaties have to be amended to do that and they will not be amended because you will never get, whether we like it or not, the reality is you will never get the 28 member states, 27, whatever, to agree to amend the treaties. And legally you can't do anything and we can't do anything. Okay, there's two more more things I want to do before we we kind of come to a bit of a close. Well, you don't come to a bit of a close, you just come to a close, don't you? Um, And the first one is, is... you know, really, no matter what happens here, no matter whether we leave or don't leave the, the EU, um, things are never going to be the same again. I always get the feeling that when you talk to centrists or you listen to Joe Swinson from the Liberal Democrats talking, that there's a kind of notion that we can somehow hit a reset button and go back to the way things were. I just don't think that's an option. We, you know, that we, we, we can't go back. Things can't be the same. So, what what are the prospects in, in the new environment that, that we're going to encounter for, for the left? What are its prospects, David? I think, I mean, there has to be more engagement and dialogue amongst the left um, in terms of trying to get a, a coherent approach in terms of what it's looking and what it wants. I mean, and again, I'm listening to yourself and, and nearly get the impression, well, what's the point in doing anything? Why don't you just pack up your bags and go home if you're because you just sound so defeatist in terms of because I grew up in a working class area in Belfast Um, I grew up with a Republican family who were involved in union activism civil rights and my upbringing was in terms of creating people movements was doing the activism on the streets um, acting locally thinking globally um, in terms of affecting that change because how does any mass political movement globally that really shapes the globe and fighting because it's just different empires that are that will fall and be created again and we've seen that through thousands of years of history empires will rise and empires will fall and new empires will be created and empires are just now it's capitalism and neoliberalism and whatever guise it's in but and it's going to be a continuous struggle and that's the one thing that's always been clear for me as well whether you're an irish republican whether you're a socialist but anywhere on that left, it's going to be a continuous struggle and you have to see it like that. But you have to still struggle and you have to still fight and you have to still keep in the campaigns. You have to build those broad political movements, those social movements, in order to affect the change. I do believe that we can have a Europe, because um, I believe that we can have a different Ireland. So if we can have a different Ireland, we can have a different Europe as well. Um, which should be people-centred, which should be about equality and rights and respect. And there have been some good things done at a European level, but obviously the focus on those with power and the bureaucracy has taken it in another direction. 
but we have to change that. You can't just say that it's a fait accompli. Um, you have to affect that change. Um, now, Tommy's view is that you can affect that quicker in Britain, and that's, that's his perspective um, than you can within the European Union. But if we're saying there's no hope or no possibility, then what's the point? and mobilising the left or getting involved in trade unions and campaigns and because you could filter the European down to local government or local councils mm. and sure there's no point in fighting them well, you know I mean, and, or, and, or you'll never change them and we have seen the changes even in this city in the institutions uh, which fed discrimination um, in this city and division and it has changed and that's because of movements and mobilisations on the ground and because of political change as well. I mean, tell me, I mean, shouldn't we be optimistic at the moment in many respects? Because, you know, I, I don't think I've ever seen the right look so intellectually exhausted. Of course. You know, you look at that recent collection, Britannia Unchained, and it's basically the same thinking that's been around for 40 years and, with added poison. And possibly even longer than that. I mean, there's, the, the British imperialism has been there for a long time. Look, we have to be filled with optimism. The chaos that's in Britain at the moment gives us an excellent opportunity to, to, to make a breakthrough. The point about it is that we don't surrender to despair. This idea that we've got to accept the European Union because we can't change it, we can leave it. That's one of the points about it. But what we've got to do is have the confidence to say we can survive without it. And I'm not advocating a British position. I'm just saying that, objectively speaking, within Britain, it would be relatively easier to change, albeit a very difficult thing to do, to change the British system than it is to change the European Union. However, we're talking here, we've got to be practical and pragmatic about building that mass movement that's necessary. And what I think we've got to look at here is to see where we have impacted. And the left has had some successes in, on this island over the last five to ten years. We've had a tremendous success in building a, a movement to challenge the water taxes down south. 100,000, 150,000 people on the streets. We had a very large movement against the household charges, which are rates in the Republic of Ireland, which we were defeated but not betrayed, as uh, one of the trade union guys said to me one day. The water charges, the problem is, once we start to say that, once we take it, the movement off the streets, once we stop that huge mass movement and say, right, we're going to change this into a parliamentary system. The old, the old social democratic uh, cry of give me your vote and I look after you for five years that's what we hear from the social democrats all the time give me your vote forget about the street forget about the union movement forget about labour forget about the campaigns give me your vote and I look after you that's, that, that's what we hear from the social democrats all the time but we need to keep on the street and when we have that movement on the street when we have the unions on the move when we have the people on the move when we have the communities on the move and keep it out of the hands of a complete uh, concentration and focus on getting into Parliament. This parliamentary cretinism is to the detriment of the mass movement, which is has to be the left. And once we realise that we're talking about the mass movement on the streets of the people, getting away from parliamentary cretinism, that's not to say that we're, we, we don't contest elections, we don't fight elections, or we're not going to take seats, but that has only to be to, to effectively seal off the deal that has been delivered from the people. And we can do it. We've done it. This movement has happened on this island in the last five to ten years. We can reenact that on a broader basis, not just on one issue or single issue campaigns, but in terms of building the new republic, that workers' republic, that's the only effective constitutional arrangement that will guarantee the rights of the people. Patricia, yeah. you despairing? Um, no, I mean, uh, first of all, just in relation to Deirdre's comments about me being defeatist and that, I, I mean, I'll, I'll forgive them because they come from a lack of understanding of how the European Union actually works and how the treaties are structured and the fact that legally it is not possible to reform without changes to the treaties. That's the legal reality and there's a lack of understanding there in relation to this issue and I suppose it's, um, you know, uh, just on that. So uh, in relation to, um, you know, things... The left, I think, one of the problems with the left in recent times has been, uh, well, over the last 15, 20 years, I suppose, to a certain extent, when the left were extremely critical of the European Union because they could see the direction it was going. This is before a lot more changes were made to the treaties. 
um, the, the left were very critical. And like as I said, people like Jeremy Corbyn and that, we, he spoke at many uh, an event in Dublin and indeed in other places. And I think now is an opportunity, uh, you, uh, as you've just said, you know, it's, it's an opportunity for the left to start basically reclaiming the EU critical agenda. Because in the late 80s, when the Single European Act, which was the first significant treaty change to the uh, the uh, Rome Treaty, uh, that was in 1987, there were all of the left-wing parties, including the Labour, Sinn Féin, all the, the Workers' Party, etc., were all campaigning against, because they could see the direction the European Union was going in. And at that stage, you had the Greens, everyone. But like as time went on, and it, it was cleverly done by the European Union, institutions and media and their kind of propaganda machine which works very effectively in that they kind of frighten people off because I was up here about two years ago I was speaking at an event and I, I was talking to one of the people from the people before profit uh, and he was saying like he found it very difficult for them to be critical of the EU because they were been put in the Nigel Farage box you see so there is this tendency to try and pigeonhole everybody into the little England or the extreme right box if you criticise the European Union, instead of us reclaiming what we had said all along in relation to the fact that the European Union was extremely centralistic, it was basically there to exploit the resources of the developing world and we've seen this I mean I sat on platforms with people in the UK during the Brexit referendum from Africa and that who were criticising how the European Union's trade policies operate, they say we're the country with the biggest production of cocoa in the world we produce the, the world's greatest amount of cocoa who makes the most profit in one year from cocoa products not us in just one year alone germany makes more than the whole of africa put together why is that because the eu's trade policy and negotiating with african countries and other countries for the resources you can only sell us the raw product you can't sell us the processed goods they deny the people of those countries the right to process their own goods so we had a lot of people from developing countries people who want fair trade not this fair trade where you go out and buy a bar of chocolate that you think is fair trade but then you realize it's made in germany it's not made in the african countries we need to sort of clean this away and this is all being pebbled and it's not just the EU, the United States, all of these countries you, are doing the same do you, thing. Do you, so do you I think, think that Brexit then is an opportunity? I think it's an see. opportunity if the left would regain its courage in relation to criticising the EU and starting to you know, call a spade a spade in relation to the EU. The EU has won the propaganda war up to now, but I think it's now time for the left to reclaim that position and not to hand it all over to the Nigel Farage's of this world, because we have been saying these things about the lack of democracy within the EU for many, many years, and we need to reclaim that, and we need to say, look, we told you so. I suspect, Claire, you'll take a different point of view in the EU thing, but on the other hand, I imagine you're going to be fairly optimistic. You're a political representative in the city, you're looking at a, despite the kind of frozen politics that there seems to be on the surface. Things maybe are happening below the waterline, there seems to be people voting in different ways. You're probably optimistic, aren't you? Well, I don't know if optimistic is the word, but I certainly believe that there's opportunity in a good old crisis. <laughs> and, and if we're thinking of framing it that from within the left, the, I think it would be really good if the left could see the opportunity in the vacuum that we have at the minute and in the crisis that we have in our politics to find that common ground and start looking at ourselves with the lens of the future rather than the lens of the past because I think when we all get into those debates we break ourselves up looking at how we disagreed in the past or various strands of whatever but if we look at where we are in the here in the now we have a, politi a political vacuum here in Northern Ireland for a long time I see no um, signs of, of that changing anytime soon. We have chaos at Westminster. We're going to be brought out of the EU with our Brexit and while we might not all agree with everything that's going on there, what we can, uh, maybe we should focus on, is sitting down having those conversations about what do we want for the future? Because what we do know is that the environmental crisis is going to affect us all equally. We do know that with the slight rise in the sea levels that the Cathedral Quarter, for example, is going to disappear. That if we don't start uh, tackling our all-island energy grids, um, we're going to run out of energy. Uh, do, so there are things that we can do, um, and whether you're a, an Irish nationalist or whether you're a British unionist, these changes are coming, these changes are here, and these changes are going to have to be dealt with. So I see opportunity rather than optimism, I suppose, in 
looking at that and trying to use it as a framework for how we can empower ourselves to move forward, not as a fractured movement, but as a real good collective movement. Um, and I think that in there lies the power of change. We're nearly out of time. And I just want to make one, just one point, and that is just in relation to what Claire was saying. Very briefly. Right. <laughs> yeah. One, one good, one opportunity is if Brexit happens, people like Claire and those should be pushing because while it'll be the Conservatives in power when it happens, like what's going to happen further down the road? Because while there's a different type of world I want, it's not the world that the Tories want. But let's see, can we get that? You know, a much fairer world in within the British system, if. Brexit happens, they should be using it, as you say, as an opportunity, uh, because to re to reclaim the sort of left agenda in in the UK after it happens, yeah. I want it in Ireland as well, though. Well, yeah, Not yeah. Just the UK. Okay, so I've got oh, just here yeah, because I never got a chance there at the end. So, um, I may be thirty nine, but I understand institutions. I may never set in the European Yeah, but the treaty Union, you can't. But I can. Un I understand how institutions work. But, but that's the it, EU I also, treaties don't. You can't amend that's them. That said, I know how yeah. treaties and all work, so I don't. But need then, how do you sure. say that it's defeatist so to say you can't on. change them when you can't change them without unanimity? You can change the European Union. You can't without changing Sorry. the treaties. Can I finish, please? Yeah, but you're not. Can I you're finish, not grasping please? reality. Can I without finish, changing the treaties, you can't change the European Union. We're not going to meet in the minds here. I've got to get on the next question. If I can understand and I can listen to the, the debate in terms of the left around the European Union, and that's fair enough, and there's many concerns and many things that I would totally agree with, um, and I don't see, I mean, um, in terms of attacks on the left, I think there's been a healthy debate here, um, but that said, Brexit um, and the consequence of Brexit in England is very different to a Brexit and the consequence that it has here in the six counties. And that's the difference. There are very different consequences. There are very different circumstances. There are very different um, positions in terms of what Brexit means for people in England and what it actually means for people here. Because the fundamental flaw is partition, which was thrust upon us by the same British system um, that is there now in terms of thrusting a chaotic Brexit as well. well and that is the concern. But that cured by staying in the European Union. But that is a difficult day, and I agree I'm, in terms of, but it won't be cured by know. just running I'm, to Britain I'm glad either. You brought that up because I've got, got a few the, seconds left. The issue, I mean, I do agree with building a broad movement because I'm, I'm a councillor in Belfast, but I see myself as an activist. Okay. Um, and I do believe in building um, a broad movement. I think the left does need to unite. Um, it needs to have a clear vision on what it wants to do. Um, I do believe that yes, you can do that within council chambers and political chambers, but it needs to be out on the streets. Um, and I do think that that's there's been that has kind of fractured over the last um, number of years, and we need to get back to that again. Whether that's political activists, whether that's the women's movement, trade union movements, all of the movements out there, and that's a change that you're even seeing like in American politics at the minute. Um, where there is this frustration um, with um, how the system is working there and the detachment from everyday normal people. Um, and I do think that it's worthy of a further conversation as to how we create that broad base. I think just that as we small ones, uh, just to back up the winds, and we're, you know, we have been able to come together to create that change for ourselves in terms of rights. And Tommy mentioned a few that were one in the South. Um, but let's not forget the marriage equality referendum that happened, the struggle that still happens here, abortion rights for women, and the campaign that's still happening as well. These are all wins for us on the left and for those grassroots, people-led movements. So it's very, very possible. We're a small... A small island with a relatively small population, um, and I suppose if I have to be optimistic, it would be say anything's possible. Okay, well let's go out on that note that anything's possible, <laughs> even out there. Listen, I'd like you to um, to thank my colleagues here at UU who have helped with this uh, this this up today, and also uh, Jared from the Creative Workers uh, uh, Cooperative, who's been in here this afternoon, basically doing all the. The, the sound and has been dealing with the visuals as well and also to thank the panellists here for I think it's been a really interesting discussion. Thank you very much.